Welcome to episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101, the foundations of our Catholic faith. These episodes originally premiered on YouTube. You can find the original video linked in the description to this episode, as well as a discussion guide for your benefit and whoever you might be listening with. A friendly reminder and invitation to please, if you have not yet done so, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. It's such a great way to get this podcast out there and for you to share it with others. But remember, the highest compliment you could pay this podcast and myself is to share this episode or any episode on social media. And you can do that by simply posting it on your story or tagging us in a post. At Mana Food for Thought is our Instagram handle. At Mana F4T is our Twitter and our Facebook page is just Mana Food for Thought. You can find all of that on our website, manafoodforthought.com, as well as all of our previous content. And if you'd like to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon tab on our website. If you have not yet done so, I really want to invite you to check out our friends at Thrive Coffee. It's Coffee with a Mission. Their website is drinkthrive.org, and they are a nonprofit craft coffee roaster in Richmond, Virginia. They use coffee to create careers and training opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Uh, they ship nationwide. Their beans are locally roasted in small batches. They make blends, and three bags sold pays for one hour of work for their differently abled employees. So go to drinkthrive.org, buy a few bags, and if you use promo code MANA, M-A-N-N-A, at checkout, you will get 15% off your first order. With that being said, enjoy the next installment in episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101. Enjoy. I read a book recently on marriage, and I came across a piece of advice that really stuck with me. And it said, do not compare the inside of your home to the outside of someone else's. Do not compare the inside of your home to the outside of someone else's. You know, we live in a world where social media and the glamour of our society idolizes this idea of putting forward a pretty face, a pretty life, a pretty attitude. And we applied this even to the pandemic that we're still experiencing. Remember when this first started happening, no one was really talking about all the invisible struggle and worry and anxiety. It was all about the visible, do you have a new hobby? Have you learned how to bake bread? Are you using this as an opportunity to get fit or start that new business or whatever it may be? We have this value of the facade. But if there are people who authentically do have a vibrant and joyful life, a uh, joyful family, relationship, you name it, we often don't see the invisible, painstaking work, effort, and struggle that was needed to get there. And that continues to be needed to sustain it. Every relationship takes work. Discipline takes work. Discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus, takes work. But the invisible work that other people don't see yields visible fruits. You know, in the very first line of the creed that we pray at every Mass, we say, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And Catholicism is a very visible religion. We have icons, prayer cards, rosaries, scapulars, medals, stations of the cross, stained glass windows, statues, vestments, the list goes on and on and on. Go into any Catholic church and it will look hopefully different than any other building that you've ever been in. We love our symbols because they are visible signs of the invisible work and grace of God. 
Take today, for instance. Today, when this premieres on January 3rd, is the Feast of the Epiphany. When we remember the fact that the three wise men, the three magi, came and presented symbols, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus and his family. Gold symbolizing his royalty, incense symbolizing his divinity, his priestly status, and myrrh, something used to bury and uh, anoint dead bodies to uh, pronounce the fact that he would suffer and be persecuted as many of the prophets before him were. There is an invisible reality to what we do visibly. And so in today's episode, we echo that invisible acknowledgement that we have this entire time, that we've we have this invisible desire that we all share for love, belonging, truth, goodness, and beauty. And we know, hopefully at this point, that culminates and finds its fulfillment in Jesus, in God, our Creator, who sent Jesus to start the Catholic Church. And so how do we live that out? How do we do that daily work, that invisible work, through those visible symbols to bring about real fruit in our lives? Well, there are three primary ways that the invisible becomes visible and the visible yields invisible results as well. And those three things are the liturgy, the sacraments, and sacramentals. And I want to talk a little bit about each one of those. The source and summit of what we do as Catholics is the Mass. And the Mass is also called the liturgy. Liturgy means, uh, it comes from the Greek word liturgia, which means a public work or a work done on behalf of the people. So our participation is the ongoing work of Mass. And um, the Mass and the sacraments, the liturgy, none of that is a matter simply of entertainment or spectator sport. Um, you know, a lot of people, they'll go to Mass and when they leave, they'll make comments as if it was something they are critiquing. They'll comment the music, the homily, the general atmosphere, the hospitality. But very rarely do you hear anyone talk about, well, I didn't really feel like I was participating well enough. But we're meant to play a part in the work being done. It is not a work that we attend, but it is our work. Can you imagine if, you know, half of the baseball team, of your favorite baseball team, at the next game just kind of stood around and watched the other players? And when a ball flew right by them, they were like, oh, somebody should get that. You know, but we do that at Mass all the time. We're called to participate. And all liturgy is centered on the Holy Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Spirit. So all of our worship, everything we participate in, is directed to the Father through the Son Jesus in unity with the Holy Spirit. In all the liturgical celebrations that we participate in, we, we celebrate the Paschal Mystery of Christ, which we've talked about, that definitive moment the life-altering, history-altering sequence of events of Jesus suffering, dying, resurrecting. That's what we journey through in every single liturgical act at every Mass, but also throughout the entire year. We have in our church what's called a liturgical calendar, a visible set of symbols and seasons to remind us of the invisible reality of the Paschal mystery, the life of Christ at work in us. The liturgical calendar begins with the season of Advent, the four weeks before Christmas that we have to prepare the birth for the birth of our Savior. We hear the accounts of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and all that happened in those nine months following. Then we celebrate the Christmas season, uh, which at this time we are uh, just in the midst of. Um, not a day, but a season. And rejoicing that God is with us. That um, 
We have many important feasts during this time, like Holy Family last uh, Sunday and Epiphany this Sunday. And we journey through this time together and hear the stories of the young life of Jesus. Then we celebrate the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord when uh, Jesus is 30 and begins his public ministry. And we lead into the next season, which is called Ordinary Time. When we hear about the ordinary moments in Jesus's ministry and how they were anything but ordinary, they were extraordinary. And that time reminds us that the presence of the presence of the extraordinary work of God in our ordinary everyday lives. Then at some point we enter into the season of Lent in the springtime. It always shifts because the celebration of Easter shifts. And so Lent is a season of 40 days of repentance, not counting Sundays, commemorating the 40 days that the Israelites journeyed uh, through the desert, excuse me, 40 years, and the 40 days that Jesus was tempted in the desert. And that's to um, deepen our readiness and our sense of repentance through the practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving to prepare for Easter. The last Sunday of Lent is Palm Sunday, and we enter into Holy Week. And in Holy Week contains the shortest liturgical season, which is called the Triduum. And there are three days leading up to Easter, comprised of Holy Thursday, where we remember the Last Supper and we have the washing of the feet. Good Friday, which is a solemn day of fasting and remembrance of the crucifixion of Jesus. And we have Holy Saturday, which is a day of waiting in hope for Easter. And that evening is when we normally celebrate the Easter Vigil, when we welcome new Catholics into the church. And then Easter is celebrated not as a day, but as a season of 50 days, ending with the, the Feast of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. Easter is always celebrated the first Sunday after the first full moon after the first day of spring, which is why it shifts each year. Um, but once we finish that Easter season, that season of hope and joy, which should always inform how we live each day, then we move back into ordinary time. And we hear more of the teachings of Jesus for us to live out in our daily life, culminating in the Feast of Christ, the King of the Universe, where we hear that day and the weeks leading up to it, readings about being prepared for the second coming of Jesus. And all throughout the liturgical year, we have different feasts, solemnities, holy days of obligation, saint days, where we're reminded of holy men and women or amazing events in salvation history and in the life of faith that call us to recognize the invisible work of God in our lives by calling these visible symbols and events to mind. But after that Feast of Christ the King, we begin again. Our liturgical year uh, going through it once is called a cycle, and our Sunday readings follow a three-year cycle. Daily Mass follows a two-year cycle, meaning that at every Roman Catholic Mass in the entire world, they're, we're hearing the same readings proclaimed that day, and we are journeying together through our Jewish foundations in the Old Testament readings, our worship and prayer in the psalm response, through the life and teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, and in the New Testament readings, we hear about the early church and how to live out our faith on a daily basis. We have different colors, symbols, hymns, traditions, prayers, and practices that accompany each of these seasons and help serve as visible reminders of the invisible presence of Jesus in our own lives as we journey through His. Another way that we experience the visible and the invisible is through the sacraments. The word sacrament comes from the word sacramentum, which means a testament or a covenant. And I think we've talked about covenants before, how they're an exchange of persons. So in each sacrament, Jesus is giving himself to us, pouring invisible grace into our lives. And so we're meant to be giving of ourselves in some way 
invisibly and visibly in return. A sacrament is defined in the Catechism, paragraph uh, 1131, as efficacious signs of grace instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church by which divine life is dispensed to us. So recognize that there's an invisible efficacious sign. It comes from Christ who gave it to the church and divine life or that invisible grace of God is given to us through it. Every single one of the seven sacraments has its origins in scripture and the teachings and actions of Jesus Christ himself. We see them in the New Testament church and in the writings of the early church fathers. Our understanding and practice of some of these has certainly changed over the years, but they've all been present from the beginning of the church, finding their source in Jesus Christ himself. And they're all a means to be in relationship with him, to receive his grace and be strengthened against sin, and to receive and respond to the free gift of salvation that he won for us on the cross. So as I said, there are seven sacraments, and they're grouped in three categories. The sacraments of initiation, the sacraments of healing, and the sacraments at the service of communion. And we'll be talking about all of these sacraments in the coming episodes. But briefly, the sacraments of initiation are baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. Jesus himself was baptized. He commissioned the apostles to go baptize all nations in Matthew 28. Confirmation is the receiving of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised and came at Pentecost, and that the apostles poured out by laying hands on newly baptized believers. We see that happen in the Acts of the Apostles, specifically chapter 8. The Eucharist is the new Passover, the holy sacrifice, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus that we receive at Mass. And so when someone becomes Catholic, they receive all of those sacraments, either in different stages if they grow up Catholic, or all at once if they enter the church as adults or in a different rite of Catholicism. The sacraments of healing are the second category, and they consist of reconciliation and anointing of the sick. Reconciliation is also called confession. So Jesus gave Peter and later the apostles the power to forgive sins, to bring spiritual healing and reconciliation. Anointing of the sick also provides a means for physical healing as well as um, spiritual, and is for those in danger of death. We see both of those highlighted in the book of James as well. And then lastly, the sacraments at the service of communion are holy orders and matrimony. Holy orders is a sacrament by which men or, are ordained deacons, priests, and bishops. And so we see this in Jesus's choosing of 12 men, entrusting them with the church. They chose successors. They were called bishops, priests, or presbyters. They elected deacons, and that continues today uh, to our own deacons, priests, and bishops now. Uh, matrimony, we have Jesus reiterating the law of the Old Testament that a, a husband shall leave his family and be clung to his wife and they shall become one flesh. But matrimony, it's marriage, but it's not just any marriage, like a civil marriage. This is a free, total, faithful, and fruitful covenant between a man and woman before God that requires specific preparation and is specifically meant to be ordered to the good of the family and of society. We'll talk more about, as I said, each of these in the coming episodes, but they all have visible signs like water, oil, candles, hands, rings, to signify the grace of God at work in our lives. And lastly, we live out the liturgical and sacramental life outside of the church by using other visible signs called sacramentals to anchor our focus, our attention and prayer in our daily life. So sacramentals are objects or actions that serve as sacred signs for us to grow in holiness. 
So some examples of these are blessings. Blessings are the highest and first sacramental. Holy objects can be blessed. We can bless ourselves, one another, bless our foods, our homes. Blessings can be invoked for protection or deliverance, like exorcisms, or as a consecration, where I want to bless myself before God and devote my life to Him. Uh, sacramentals can be actions, such as processions or pilgrimages, mission trips. Um, prayers can be sacramentals, such as the rosary, novenas, or popular devotions. And objects, such as holy water, sal or palms, ashes, candles, metals, um, scapulars, things like that. So I'd encourage you, if you have not yet done so, have a priest come and bless your home. Bless your sacramentals that you have in the home. And I invite you to try and keep holy water in your home to bless yourselves and one another. You can do this before bed, whenever you leave the house, whenever you pray together as a family. Because all of these things, liturgy, sacraments, and sacramentals, they all remind us that Christ is at work in our lives. In the smallest signs, moments, in the highs and the lows, the births, baptisms, weddings, deaths, and everything in between, in all that is visible, our invisible God is present and desires deeper relationship with us. He gives us countless opportunities and reminders, not only to receive his love, but to participate in it, to work with him, to create something beautiful in our own lives that overflows into the lives of those around us. We can be co-creators with God in these ways. What a beautiful privilege and responsibility we have as Catholics. But it takes work. It takes showing up, doing our share, working on our end of the relationship each and every day. Just like couples might need a getaway or a date night to connect, um, we need you know, retreats, getaways, spiritual getaways, at least uh, one day a week to connect. That's why Sunday, the Lord's Day, is an obligation for us as Catholics. We need to show up and make an effort every week like we do in any relationship that's going to stay healthy and last. So I want to challenge you and invite you to take an honest look at your own heart, your work, your effort, and ask, is it enough? Am I prioritizing time for Mass, the sacraments, and prayer every week? Are these the first things I schedule into my week or my day, or are they the last things I try and fit in? Jesus laid down his life for us. We often forget we're called to do the same in response. If we do, the invisible will become visible in our lives. So go and get to work.